Welcome to Promised Land at Home Podcast, where we bring people into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and each other. Wherever life has you, we pray that today's sermon both challenges and encourages you. We're so glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy the message. I do want to just jump right in, though. We're going to be reading out of the book of Ephesians this morning. I'll have a a chunk of scripture that I want to share with you. If you didn't get your Bible reading in this week, that's okay. I'm going to do enough for about a week and a half. All right, so just sit back and relax. But before we get right into Ephesians chapter 4, I kind of want to give you a quick rundown of Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. So Ephesians is a book found in the New Testament. Um, It is written by Paul. Paul's responsible for writing two-thirds of the New Testament. He writes this book uh, to a church that's in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is modern-day Turkey, so if you were to look at a map and find Turkey, um, the country, not like an actual Turkey, uh, that's where Ephesus would be, okay? So uh, that, that's where he's writing. On one of his uh, missional journeys that he takes through what then was called Asia Minor, Paul stops in this city, and he's noticing that through the communication of the good news of Jesus, people are converting in their faith. People are converting, and they're starting to leave other gods and um, claim to Christianity, follow Jesus. Jesus is healing them and pulling them out of things, and so he decides to plant a church. He finds three people, a couple named uh, Priscilla and Aquilas, and then a man by the name of Apollos, and he says, you guys are my launch team. And he plants a church, launches with those three people. The church would grow steadily. Um, And in its early days is actually when he's writing this. They're a young-ish church. A lot of people are coming over from other religions. Ephesus is a border town. It's really hip. It's really cool. And what Paul started to notice in Ephesus is that there are people are converting to Christianity, but they're bringing a lot of their own uh, baggage and background with them. They're bringing their ideology and their theology that they carried with other gods who were a lot uh, well, they're not gods. They were, they were false idols, and they were applying them to their relationship with Jesus. And it was causing a lot of uh, tension in the church, division. It was a very uh, hostile environment politically where they were. Just a lot. So Paul takes time to write this letter. And we catch up with it in chapter 4, but I do want to let you know that in chapter 1, Paul gets right to the point. And I want to kind of give you a little context of, of the, the first three chapters so you can kind of understand where we're landing in chapter 4. So in chapter 1, Paul says to the people in Ephesians chapter 1 that you are God's people and that he's already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. So right off the rip, he's like, hey, I need you to know this. If you have converted and you follow Jesus, you are God's people, and this loving, good, gracious God has already blessed you with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. Now, that's just so amazing. And it got me thinking when I read that in chapter 1, how much time I don't take to realize that God has already blessed me with every spiritual blessing. Actually, I find myself praying more that God would bless me with physical blessings then I do find myself thanking God for all the spiritual blessings he's already given me. Which leads me to think that in our culture today, we place way more value on physical blessings than we do on spiritual blessings. But, God, but, but Paul here takes time to say, God's already blessed you. So he tells them truth about who they are. 
Then in chapter 2, he goes in and says, look, you have been saved. And he introduces this idea of salvation by faith, through grace. Not on your own works, he tells them, but by the grace of God. And it's not by your own works so that no one person can boast. No one person can say, look what I've done. And because of my own works, God has saved me. He says, no, it's all a gift from God. It's all grace. And so he evens the playing field. Because in this day, Jewish people and Gentiles, they didn't see eye to eye. Jewish people and non-Jewish people. And Jewish people actually thought that, that they were better, superior, and they made Gentiles feel inferior. And so Paul comes in and levels the playing field and says, Christ didn't just do it for one set of people. He did it for everybody. Right? Chapter 1, you're already blessed. Chapter 2, everybody who comes to Christ is saved by the grace of God. And then in chapter 3, he says, because you are saved, you are now children of God. He gives them identity. And as children, you have a new position, posture, and inheritance. He tells them in chapter 3, your old life is gone. And there's a new life that you can now step into and live in. And he sets all of these prerequisites prior to launching into chapters 4, 5, and 6. And I believe that it's very intentional. You know, and and I even want to say this. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul begins to speak to them about about who, who the gifts that are in them. And we're going to talk about that today. But he says, hey, husbands, this is how you should act towards your wives and wives towards your husbands. And, and this is the way you should talk. And, and you should carry yourself in a particular manner. And you should, you should treat people in a particular way. And they're all biblical truths. But I want you to take notice that Paul chooses to, to tell them for three chapters first how good God is and what he's done in their life before he ever gets into behavior modification. And I think that it's something that we need to take notice of in how he writes the book of Ephesians to this young church. And notice that we can't be a church that is all considering behavior modifications. Look this way, talk this way, act this way, because it's true and be a harsh, judgmental church, but never present the truth and the loving and the gracious side of who God is. It's very intentional about how how Paul writes this in Ephesians. So he lays all this down. One, two, and three. I know I went through it quick, but I hope you're with me. And now in chapter 4, we get to verse 1. And Paul writes, therefore. In the Bible, anytime you read therefore, know that it's therefore a reason, okay? He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead, someone say lead, a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Say, I am called by God. Verse 2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Verse 5, buckle in. Like I said, we have a good amount of scripture here. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all, in all, living through all. That's good right there. However, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scripture says when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Next. We're going to get into nine. But I need you to know that when you're reading this, you can put yourself 
in this space. Paul's talking about the church. You are the church. When it says things like he's given gifts to his people, you can scratch that out in the Bible and say, he's given gifts to me. I need you to understand that part of this Bible, when you step into the life of faith and, and you become a child of God, this becomes your lineage. You become a part of this family that is talked about. And, and, and I think that sometimes as believers, what we do is we, we separate ourselves from the truth of the Bible and we separate ourselves from some of these gifts that we're going to look into. And we build this imaginary chasm or gap between who Paul is talking to, but it's not like me, though. Like, it's cool to read, and that's like a long time ago, but it's not like for me. No, yes, it is. So let's read the rest of this with that mentality. Verse 9. Notice it says that he ascended. That's Jesus. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And in the same one who descends is the one who ascends higher than all the heavens. So that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Who's the church? Us. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and build the church, the body of Christ. Here we go. Last one, I think. Maybe two more. This will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of TikTok, and we will not be influenced... When people try to trick us on Instagram with political things and with new world thinking so that they sound clever and they're trying to sound like the truth. Come on, what's next? No, he says you won't fall for that. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does on its own special work. It helps other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And amen. Ooh, that's good. Man, just get a little Bible in you. You know, preach myself happy up here. <laughs> You know, today I want to preach a message to you for just a little while, you know, a couple hours or so I'll be up here. But I just want you to just dive into it. Just, just kind of take the scales off your eyes for just a little bit. Some are intentional, some are unintentional. Open your heart, open your mind, and just allow God to speak to you. Find yourself in Scripture. Find yourself in the calling of God. God is still speaking. He's still moving. He's still active. And he wants you very much to be a part of what he's doing. And let's just approach the next few minutes that way. Let me pray for you really quick. Father, right now, I just pray for freedom over this place. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just take control of this room, that we would lay down at the altar any prerequisites that we have of our life of faith, any hurts that we have towards the church, any, anything that is just blinding us in any way, God. And even for a moment, that these people could trust you to take a step in their journey. Holy Spirit, lead us towards Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody says amen. 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 Hey, well, it is Super Bowl Sunday. So I would not be doing justice if I didn't just talk about football a little bit. Um, 
I'm really happy. And, you know, I'm not really going for either team today. It's, it's on uh, one of those off years where my buddy Tom Brady did not make the Super Bowl. And so I don't really care what happens. I called him the other day to congratulate him about his retirement. He said thank you, and he wants to catch a round of golf at Pebble. And I said I'll check my calendar. So um, looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, but, I, you know, I'm not like, you know, it, it's fun to watch and, and all that. But it reminded me of when I was young. And I remember when I first started playing football, I got into football. I was a young, I was, I was shorter. I was probably like this tall. I was a young chubby kid. I kid you not, I had the same waist at like nine years old that I do today. Um, my football pants in peewee football were 34 Husky. I'm not joking, okay? I had, like, the shortest, stumpiest arms. The coaches used to call me T-Rex because my arms are, like, this big, you know. Especially when you put those shoulder pads on, you know, and you're like, yeah, totally me. And it was in that moment of, like, you know, getting into sports and all that that I had this, this epiphany. I had to learn a tough lesson because short, chubby, little, unathletic Emilio. Now, I've grown into an athlete, okay? I, it took time, okay? I was a late bloomer, but I'm now definitely a fat lead. That's what I call myself, okay? And um, at the time, though, didn't have it going for me. And little Emilio really wanted to be a quarterback, okay? Uh, let's just say everybody except me could see that I was not built to be a quarterback. I had no physical giftings of being a quarterback, didn't really throw that far, could not run for more than probably like five yards without like my inhaler, okay? And uh, it just was what it was. I wasn't a quarterback. So I did the next closest thing to touch the ball every play. I became a sinner, all right? Uh, fit kind of my wheelhouse a little more. But I learned as a young kid growing up that when you play football, you don't just get to do whatever you want. Every person on the field has a position that is based around their build and the gift that they have inside of them, right? You can't just go and just do whatever. You know, the tall, fast people, usually receivers, the really strong, stocky people, you hand them the ball and they run through people. The people who have like no regard for life, they call them linebackers, right? Like it's just like, that's just what it is. And so they put you in certain positions based on your gift. And I had to learn that from a really young age. And my dad took time. He taught me about the sport. He said, this is like, you know, what you need to do. And, and, and you know, some of it is natural ability and some of it you get taught. And, and I started to think about that story because it is a very similar picture or it is a great metaphor for how the church operates as well. All of us are a part of a team. And, and you have to be told at some point taught. Just the way that my dad taught me about football, first downs, offsides, flags, penalties, rules, there are things about the church that we should be taught. Lessons that you have to learn, history that you study, why we do certain things. And I think that sometimes we forget or fail to really give understanding. And then we end up just going to church on Sunday and never asking why, hey, why the heck do we all gather in a broom on Sunday? Why does one person get up there with a microphone and talk? What does it mean even to be a pastor? Or, or, or do you have to f meet certain requirements or do certain things? Or, 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 and, and, and we fail to ask and we kind of just accept things for what they are. But in the same way, that I had to learn the rules about sports. I feel like we have to learn some truths about church, about the kingdom of God, so that we don't go into it 
So that whenever you say, this is the church I go to, you understand what that actually means. About what it means to be submitted to authority. About what it means to be covered by that house. So that when you say, hey, this is the church I go to, what you don't mean is, this is the most convenient place that plays my favorite type of music. Because there's a big difference. And when someone takes your hand to pray for you, you can leave saying, this person just imparted into me, not this person just sent up the same wishes that I am into the air. But I think that we need sometimes to really know what we're doing. Sometimes some of us, we want to be quarterbacks. God's called us to be sinners. Some of us, you put yourself on the bench. God's calling you out to the field. And you get too comfortable sitting on the sideline, spectating, thinking that church was meant for you to spectate. Christianity and faith was meant for you to spectate. When in actuality, God has called each and every one of us to be in the game. So let me break down this portion of scripture that I think Paul is talking to us about. And I have just a few moments but I want to just take it from, ver- from chapter 4, verse 1. I have three main points for you today. And I just hope that by speaking life into you, something would resonate with your spirit. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Chapter 4, verse 1. And, and the word there, lead, is underlined. Because I think he used that word intentionally. Paul says, you need to lead a life worthy of your calling. I think too many of us spend our lives just living, and we don't take enough time to start leading. And the reason that I think he uses the word lead is because a life that is worthy or according to your calling takes you leading yourself in that. It doesn't just happen by chance. We are, uh, have sin nature in us. It's more natural for us to be negative and sinful than it is to be positive and encouraging or lead a, live a life that, that fits with go- what God has called us to do. And so what Paul is telling us right off the rip is that if you are going to live a life worthy of your calling, then you first have to choose to lead your life that's worthy of a calling. I remember um, when I was younger, and there was this uh, young student. We heard this story. I was in Bible college at some point in Bible college. And there was this young intern. And he really, really wanted to, to like, do the things of God. And he once heard at, at an altar call that, you know, when, when you sin, you have to repent for your sins. And, and, you know, if you have a thought that is really bad, that you need to just take it to God and say, God, forgive me for that thought. Right? This is a story that we heard about this young boy. And he heard the preacher preaching. And he said, anytime you have a thought, you say, God, forgive me for that thought. Forgive me for that thought. And this little boy took that. He was a young kid, a teenager. And, and because he wanted to live a life that honored God, every time the, the story goes, that every time he saw a young lady, he would say, forgive me, God, for that thought. And then he would take a couple more steps. You know, the, oh, God, forgive me for that thought. Oh, God. And, and it consumed his life where all he could ever think is, God, forgive me for that thought. Poor kid. He didn't really get it. 
But what was he trying to do? He was trying to set himself up to lead a life worthy of his calling. And, and the funny part is, is that we'll do it unintentionally anyway, right? For whatever reason, when I was a young kid, I thought it was super cool to be a gangster. I don't know why. That's just what 14-year-old Emilio wanted to do. So what did I do? I tried to be a gangster. I hung out outside more because I felt like that was like something I needed to do. I would buy pants that were way too big for me. And I would put rubber bands around the ankles of them, tuck them in so that the blue from my blue jeans wouldn't get on the white from my high top Air Force Ones. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? All my other fellow gangsters. (laughs) Word up. I don't know. I don't know why. I'm ashamed to say it, and I've deleted all picture proof, but I used to wear do-rags. I don't even know what a do-rag does, but I wore one. I barely even had hair, but I was trying to shape my life around what I felt in my 13-year-old brain I was called to be. Thug. (laughs) And you laugh because it is funny But I think every day we'll buy certain things and dress a certain way and talk a certain way and hang around certain people. And we're unintentionally trying to lead ourselves in a way that is worthy that we see fit to our natural life. But we'll fail to do that for our spiritual calling. The problem is, is that a lot of us don't know what we're called to. And that's okay for now. Because we're going to get into how we get there here in a little bit. But the reason that it becomes hard to lead yourself to your calling when you don't know what you're called to is because you don't really know what you're leading yourself to, where you're going. You can't lead yourself to an area that you don't even know where the destination is. But Paul also addresses this, and he makes it really clear in verse 7. He says, however... He, being Jesus, has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why scripture says that he ascended to the heights. He led the captive and gave gifts to his people. You're called. And like we said in our football analogy, your position on the field is determined by the gifts that God has placed in you. The person who can throw the farthest typically plays quarterback. Your gift, the Bible says your gifts will make room for you. This was what it means. And if you've never heard it in here this morning, let me be the first to tell you, God has placed a gift in you. All of you. The Bible is very clear that that God is, is in your creation process. When you're being formed in your mother's womb, His hand is at work, and he places gifts in you. And I want to tell you that every gift that you have inside of you right now, there is place in the kingdom for your gift. And primarily, above all else, above making money, making a name for yourself, having legacy, the gifts that you have are to further the kingdom of God above all else. 
And, and you know what? Life comes along, things come along, and I know our gifts can get twisted and perverted. There's also people I feel the need in the 10 o'clock service to speak this. There are gifts that are in you that have been laid dormant because people have told you that that is not who you were or have made you feel smaller than you are or, or the hurt of life has calloused over those gifts. I'm going to pray for you in a little bit that the Spirit of God would rip those things wide open and that you would see yourself operate and move in a way that you would never think or imagine. And it's not by your own doing, but by the Spirit of God that is inside of you, pulling forth the gift that God placed in you before you were even created in your mother's womb. You have purpose, you have value, and I want to just see people of promise and begin to step into that today. No one person, even if you're choosing to exclude yourself in this moment, you are still included. Joke's on you. You're called and you're gifted. The thing is that we have to stir up, Paul says, the gift that is in us. He tells Timothy, Timothy's his protege, Timothy will later be assigned to be pastor of this church in Ephesus. And under Timothy's leadership, the church will grow way above 4,000 men plus women and children. Have y'all seen the movie Gladiator? Anybody seen that movie Gladiator? Was it Russell Crowe? He's like, are you not entertained? Right? That movie, it's a great movie. <clears throat> that, that Colosseum that those gladiators would fight in. They believed that the church of Ephesus got so large they would meet in those. That would be like where they would have church because so many people were converting and were going to Christianity. And, and Timothy, under, under that, the Ephesus under Timothy's leadership would grow and be amazing. But Paul, in his last two letters that he writes before he dies, writes to his young protege, Timothy. And in, in Timothy, to the second chapter, he tells Timothy, you need to stir up the gifts that are in you. God has placed gifts in you, but, but you need to stir them because stirring activates. You know, when I was a young chubby kid, one of the things that led to my chubbiness was the fact that I really liked sweets, like a lot, okay? And um, when I was too young to be in school, one of my aunts, she was much older, she was like my great aunt, she would watch me, she would babysit me. She was a sweet old lady, and she would just let me do like pretty much whatever I wanted. And with every meal, Aunt Jen she would give me sweet tea, okay? But it's not like the sweet tea that we have today that's like in a jug. There used to be this, this, this tube-looking thing, and, and they would have instant tea in it. I don't know if any of y'all remember instant tea, but you get a spoonful of it, you pour it in a cup, and then you mix it, and, and it turns into tea. Am I the only one that's ever had this product? That's okay, you know, okay, I got one hand in the back. Instant tea did exist. I think it was by ne Nestle, right there, or something, okay, I don't know. It still exists. Thank you for the reassurance. <laughs> you would take some tea, you would put it in there, and then you would take a spoonful of sugar, and you would drop it in there as well, and you would mix it, and it would be sweet tea. And it was so delicious, and my Aunt Jen would make it for me all the time, and I loved it. Well, one time she was taking a nap, and I wanted to make my own sweet tea because I did feel like Aunt Jen's sweet tea just kind of wasn't sweet enough. So I said, I'm going to make my own sweet tea. So I grab a glass, I put ice in it, I put water, and I put a couple scoops of instant tea, and then I get a, a cup of sugar, an entire cup of sugar, right? Now, no, 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 I didn't pour the whole thing in there. <laughs> I just poured a little bit. I just poured a little bit in there, and I took a drink. Disgusting, right? It was not good. So I grab the cup, I pour a little bit more, just to sprinkle, just to dash, right? I drink it, still not good. So I pour about half of the thing, and I was like, we've come this far. Boom, right? Like, it went on a couple more times. A whole cup. I'm talking a 12-ounce cup of water, a whole cup of sugar. 
still not good, okay? It's, it actually tasted terrible. It was getting like kind of grainy and disgusting and super gross, and I didn't know what to do. Well, the problem was, is that in my little brain that I was there, I would, ne- I would be so excited to drink this tea that I would never watch one of the most important steps in Aunt Jen making my delicious sweet tea. And that was that you couldn't just pour the sugar in there and expect something to happen and it tastes delicious. She would then take the same spoon that she poured it in and she would have to stir the tea around and as she began to stir the sugar and the tea the water would infuse and it went from being just three different random things into delicious drink that I could enjoy on a hot summer day I hope you see what I'm getting at here is that if you God has placed a gift in you but you don't take any time to stir anything up in your life then it just sits there and it gets dormant it doesn't really taste good and it brings no value but the moment that you recognize that there's something on the inside of you that needs to be stirred up that needs to have movement action that you need to put it into work that you need to get here on a Sunday morning and and be a part of a dream team or open the door or smile or serve in production or come pour into a young student and that's your way of stirring up what God has done in you because gifts that God has given us do nothing when they sit but the world is changed when it's stirred up so are you stirring up you know for you to stir it up you have to get in the game sitting on the sideline is you just letting your gift go. And you know, I want to be sensitive because I realize that, 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 that we let our gifts go for a lot of different reasons. It's not all just deliberate choice. Maybe it's hurt, shame, fear of rejection, embarrassment. I don't know. But part of the step of faith that you have to take in part of our journey is you making the decision to stir it Somebody say, stir it up. Stir it up. There's a lot of different gifts that God has given us. I'm going to take a few moments to just unpack some of them. That was verse 11. Uh, That was verse 7. In verse 11, Paul says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the pastor, and the teacher. And in 12, he says, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And 13 says, and this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I want to really focus on those things that he says. Can we go back one? Uh, where is it? Verse 11. Uh, is it there? Now these, the prophet, or the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. These are gifts. And you might have heard these words before in church and just assume, oh, that's somebody else. But this is a part of my sermon where I'm going to teach you some things about these words in hopes that you find yourself in one of them. This is not just this imaginary separate thing. This is not just something for somebody else to do. There are people in this room that God has called to be prophets, teachers, pastors, apostles, and evangelists. God is calling you to get in the game. Imagine how different our world would look if we had young people who took as much time as we do to learn a sport, 
and they took it to learn what it meant to stir up their spiritual gift. And that's why I'm passionate about it. That's why we're going to start internships at Promised Land. And that's why we're going to encourage and move for our young people to get in the game and start doing stuff and start being the difference in their schools and in their environments and start influencing culture because we cannot afford for the world to look like it looks like any longer. And you know what? It says when these things start happening, then we will begin to be in a place that is pleasing to God. But we cannot point at a world that looks broken until we point at ourselves and say, are we stirring up? Because healing only comes after the stir. So find yourself in this, the apostle. I'm going to give you a quick rundown. Apostle, those that conquer. That's my little quote. Apostle, those that conquer. Influencing and transforming the world we are in locally, regionally, or globally with the values of heaven. Originally, apostle was not a, a faith term. It wasn't a Christian term. It started as a political term in Rome. And Caesar would have apostles. And what the apostles' jobs were is to know everything about Roman culture, everything you could possibly know. You know the laws, you know the ways of life, you know the decisions that Caesar would make and everything. And Caesar would send these apostles to areas that were dormant. They didn't really have development or it was a city that was like a little smaller or, or whatever, you know. And, and, and so for the analogy, let's just say San Marcos is where Caesar lives. And Caesar chooses to send San Marcos apostles over to Kyle. Now, if you live in Kyle, this is no offense, just go along with the metaphor, Okay. But he sent San Marcus apostles over to Kyle. And the idea was that if the apostle from San Marcus goes into Kyle and starts doing everything in Kyle the way we do it in San Marcus, that Kyle would look so much like San Marcus that eventually you wouldn't be able to tell San Marcus and Kyle apart. And then Kyle would just be considered a bigger part of San Marcus and San Marcus grows. And that's what Rome did. They send their apostles out and say, oh, go to this area. There's not much there. Go to this small town. Let's conquer them. And instead of war, we would just influence the culture so much that you couldn't even tell the difference. And this is the word God uses when he chooses his 12 apostles. God is calling some of you in here to know the kingdom and know his heart in such a way that regardless of where you go, it looks so much like heaven that we can't even tell the difference. And heaven and the kingdom gains ground on this earth because of willing apostles. The next one that he talks about is prophets. A prophet, my little word is those that encounter. It's how God spoke in the Old Testament. The responsibility of a prophet is connecting God's people to the presence of God so they can hear, see, and feel him. Prophets can speak to individuals, the house that they're serving at, their church, regions, or even into moves of God. We need prophets. We need people that can take hands and God is going to do and say something in their life. They can speak into you. They can look. And now, hear me. Prophets, their words should always align with the word of God. And their words are always for the building up, the edification of the individual or the church, the church, the house of God. A prophet that is going to come in and can tell you the exact number that you have in your bank account and what color underwear you have on, that, that's not a prophet, okay? That's something else. 
But these gifts have been perverted, and you see these different things, and you'll see things on YouTube and all this stuff. No, 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 no. It's for the edification of the house of God and the kingdom of God. They speak into your life. God will move. And this is not a show-and-tell session, but I remember I was down here at the altar. This was just a few months ago, and, and, and I was I praying for one or two people, and this man came up, and I said, hey, how can I pray for you? And he said, I don't know English. And, and he kind of said it a little broken. And I know Spanish kind of. I can get through a conversation. I grew up around it. I, I know Spanish, but there's a lot of Spanish I don't know. Let's just say that. There's more Spanish I don't know than I do know. And I took this man by the hands, and I said, God, I don't know what to say, but I know you need, he needs to be prayed for. And I started praying for him in English. And as I'm praying for him in English, I think of this word in Spanish that, that he's a son of God. And so I take a step of faith, and I pray in Spanish that this guy is a son of God. And I tell you this with the most honesty and genuine spirit in my heart. When I said that he's a son of God in Spanish, I began for the next few minutes to pray for him fully in Spanish. There are words that I don't, I could not tell you right now what I said. If he were to have said back to me, I would say, I said that, like, because I did not, I, but I really believe in my heart that the Holy Spirit came over me and used me in a moment when I took a step of faith to say, you know what, it's not about Emilio, it's not about your ability, it's not about your gifts, I have a son who needs to be imparted into, and you are my vessel in this moment, and if we had such a heart for people where we would remove our own selves out of the way, our own fears, our own insecurities, our own inabilities, the things that the world has told us, and said, God, you have place a gift in me and if nothing else I'm going to be a vessel in this moment because this person needs the love of Jesus and the heart of Christ and a home to come to and this man just started weeping and breaking down and he's just crying and I don't even know what I'm saying and he probably is just like having his own moment and it was just this moment of God saying I'm going to use you because I care more about the people that I need to reach than you care about your ability to say anything in Spanish perfectly. We need people to step into these gifts, the prophets, the evangelists, those that reach, revealing King Jesus to those who don't know him with words, work, and wonder. Have you ever met that person that they'll just tell anybody about Jesus? You're like, bro, we at Chili's, can you wait? Like, they don't care, they're just boom. Like, I just want to share Jesus. Like, you will not believe what happened at church today. Or I'm just so excited. Or, or they see someone down. Hey, I will pray for you. You know, like, there's just these moments. And I got to be honest, even me as a pastor sometimes, that's one of my biggest struggles. I'm like, I'll just pray for you at home. Like, you know what I mean? And then, But there's some people that are just so gifted. You're an evangelist. Do you ever wonder why for some of you it's like all the drama that goes on at work. People pick up the phone to call you to just be like, girl, help me with this. Bro, what do I do? And you're like, you're twice my age. Why are you asking me? It's because they see something in you. They see that gift that God has placed in you. Some of you, you're just made to tell people about Jesus. And you don't need a platform. You don't need a stage. You don't need a building. You just need a living body. And even that sometimes, you're like, I'll take a dead one, right? You're an evangelist. The pastor, those that shepherd, cultivating kingdom character through coaching, counseling, and care. Notice there's nothing in there about preaching. 
cultivating kingdom character, imparting what it means to live in the kingdom to someone else. Through just being patient, just talking, coaching, care. Some of you, some of the most pastoral people I've ever met in my entire life, their job has nothing to do with church. Do you, have you ever been told that you can be a prophet that just like sells cars? <laughs> that you can be a pastor that works in our school district? That you can be an evangelist that makes the most bomb pizza anybody's ever had? Don't discount yourself. And teacher, those that train, communicating biblical truth through the teaching and training to see transformation. The word says in Romans that don't conform to the world, ways of the world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm going to pray this morning that God renews your mind and that you would leave here provoked to stir up the gift that is in you because they are alive and active. And it's time for some of you to get in the game. I say that in love, but part of me says that from a place of this righteous frustration. Not with you, but because there's a world that is hurting and broken. There's a city that is hurting and broken. And it's much easier to point the finger at how dark it is out there than it is to say, but that's our responsibility. And it doesn't get lighter out there until I start stirring up in here. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget we want to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Promised Land San Marcos, on Instagram at PSM Church, or on our website, psmchurch.com. Thanks again for listening to the Promised Land at Home podcast.